0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I, me, I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy.
1: And I'm Sydney McElroy.
0: And uh, what a thrill it is to be back here with
1: you, sister.
0: Um, I always love doing Sawbones, um, but this is one that I feel very proud of because I accidentally found out about it and told you about it.
1: That's right. Where, where did you find out? What was the episode you found out it about It was this when again? I was looking at- Was it about farting? Farting,
0: I think. Farting, yeah. I think it was
1: about farting. Mm-hmm. It was a care for farting or it was fart-related, fart, fart. It fart. was definitely fart-related. Do you remember what we're talking about today? Would you like to-
0: I can't pronounce that. I'd prefer you did it.
1: Asafetida. Asafetida.
0: Asafetida. Asafetida.
1: Asafetida. Asafetida. Yes. I looked at the pronunciation multiple times. Asafetida, Asafetida, Asafetida. is what it looked like to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I if I'm remembering what all those little symbols, the upside down E and all that stuff means. All right. <laughs> I want. I hope I'm stressing it right.
0: I'm. You're as-a- stressing me fatida. by worrying about it. It's so got to be asafetida. Okay.
1: Anyway, I said it. I said it like 30 times as I was researching this out loud. Just like I'm just sitting there by myself, typing away and looking up stuff on the computer, going asa fatita. By myself. Anyway, um, yes, you brought it up, and I thought. It's funny because it's related to something else that I have researched, like, with the thought this would make a good sawbones before and had never really dived into, dove into. Dove? Dove. Diven. <laughs> but this is a substance that you may be familiar with, depending on um, what your what your cooking background is, mm-hmm. what sorts of, you know, uh, like, regions of the world you're cooking uh, history and culture comes from. You may be familiar with this substance. You may have seen it advertised online as a supplement. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I mean, probably not. I've, I've self-selected my algorithm pretty well, but.
1: Well, if you're me and you do a medical history podcast that sometimes covers um, pseudoscience, <laughs> then you probably have seen it advertised to you because I get – all the supplements, yeah. all the oils, ruined, all the herbals, all the. Your algorithm. I know it's destroyed. Every, everywhere thinks that I'm really into this stuff. <laughs> like there's, I'm on a list of like who Goop's targeting somewhere. <laughs> Goop is looking for Sydney, and yeah. Goop can't she's get Sydney to customer. buy anything. She doesn't buy anything, but she's fascinated. But by she's this really stuff. interested in this stuff. She goes to Goop all the time. Um, so, asafoetida is a dried latex gum. Okay. It's a it's a it's from the root of a certain herb. It's in the uh, celery family. It's related to fennel. It's called ferula. There's actually several different species that you can get this substance from. It's not just from one species of plant. It's native to Iran and Afghanistan. Um, and it's not uh it it's it's a resin. Really, it's mm-hmm. not an herb. It's from an herb, but it's not the herb. Right, it's not leaves. It's not a spice. It's not seeds. Like maple syrup. Maybe. Which is know. a sap. It's a goopy. Saps are resins,
0: basically. Saps and resin. You tell me the difference right now. I'll, I'll um, I don't know. I'll save
1: the laundry for a month. Botany was not my favorite of the sciences. <laughs> I took, I've th- I may have mentioned this before, I took plant taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Man, that was the hardest class. I, I will do my organic chemistries over again any day of the week, Over taking plant taxonomy again. Memorizing the names of plants and then understanding, like, to count. Def- I just don't. Um...
0: Generally, sap is a relatively clear and thin, watery substance, while resin, also called pitch, is an amber-colored, thick, gooey, and tacky. Maple tree sap used to make maple syrup is essentially water with a mild, sweet taste. Mm. So there you go. So there you
1: go. Uh, Sap
0: is basically just sugar and water.
1: So this is this is a resin. You take it from the roots um, that are at least four years old. It hardens into these little pieces that they call tears because that's what it looks like—a mm-hmm. tear, tear shaped. Yeah, tear shaped. Um, and then you, I mean, you can press them all into big lumps if you want. I, I do. <laughs> you want to you want to press them into lumps? Yeah, i can like them into lumps. And then once you've got them into a big enough lump, you grind them into a powder. And this is the substance, the powder is the substance that we're talking I've done about. done all these steps, but I yeah. don't know why I'm doing any of it. But well, I am you, doing it just to keep up. You've still got to mix it with some starch. Oh, okay. I got that right here. So like rice powder, mm. something to keep it smooth. Okay. Okay. So this is what we're talking about. This is the thing, as That like really you can look up, like you can buy bottles of it. If you want, I'm not suggesting you do that.
0: I at this point um, have no idea why I would do that.
1: It is known sometimes as devil's dung in English-speaking countries because it smells terrible. Okay. Well, I I shouldn't say it smells terrible. The I have not smelled, smelled it. Is. The popular conception is that it smells bad. It has been I I the word that I saw most frequently uh, used to describe its smell is pungent. Oh. And I have found that pungent can mean many things. Yes,
0: there are some pungent smells I enjoy. Pungent like is garlic. very
1: subjective, mm-hmm. um, but it has a very strong pungent odor. Um, I again, I haven't, I've never smelled it that I know of. I don't think I
0: have. Whenever I hear pungent, I always think of Sex Panther from Anchorman. Well, <laughs> oh, it's pungent. <laughs> it burns the nostrils.
1: Um, it may be what I thought was interesting is as I was researching this substance, which we're going to get into its medicinal and, and actually culinary ah. uses. Um, It was thought to be perhaps a modern remnant of an ancient extinct plant that used to be very important in the ancient world. Um, So there was something called Mm sylphium. And sylphium was so important that it was actually one uh, northern African city, Cyrene. It it is on their coins. Like if you look at coins from this place in in ancient history – it is a picture of the sylphian plant on the coin Super important. because it was as valuable as any money that you could exchange at the time. Hmm. It was an incredibly important plant in the ancient world. It was used in a variety of ways um, by the ancient Greeks, by the ancient Romans. Uh, it was thought to be a contraceptive. So it was something you could use to prevent How, becoming like pregnant.
0: Oral, or, orally?
1: It was prepared in a variety of ways. It was an herb. And you can prepare it in a variety of ways. Um, It was used for medicine. It was thought to be an aphrodisiac. It was used as a seasoning in food. It was used as a perfume. Um, I think that it's funny that something that would be an aphrodisiac would also be thought to be a contraceptive.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems useful. That sounds like the part. Yeah, it sounds like a (laughs) a great dual purpose. Well,
1: when you hear that, though, doesn't it make you think like wishful thinking?
0: Yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But it doesn't seem right.
1: It was a relative of fennel, probably, although, like, no, none of it exists today. So, like, this is what we think it was. We think it was a relative of fennel, which is why we think it's probably related to Aspetita. Um, It was basically—it was so popular that it was used and grazed and sold into extinction.
0: Somebody got the last bit, and they are like, I should replant this, really, but I do need it.
1: Somebody did get the last bit. Uh, the last bit, um, Pliny the Elder said that— um, the last bit that was ever in existence was sent to Nero. <laughs> sure. That's what Pliny wrote. Like, yeah, the last piece was sent to Nero is like, look at this thing that once existed and isn't here anymore. You can keep it for your collection of like, Oh nice. Things. I'll just
0: throw this away for you. No yeah, problem. I'll just
1: throw this weed away. <laughs> What is this weed you've sent me? Why did you
0: pick it up? Why didn't you plant it again? (laughs) Why didn't
1: you plant it again, Plenty? I mean, Plenty didn't send it to Nero. No, it wasn't.
0: No. It wasn't Plenty. Plenty. He wrote about it. No, no. Well, let's call it what it is. Someone (laughs) lied to Plenty about what happened to it. And he's like, nice, I'll put it in history. And
1: just like all the other other lies, Plenty dutifully recorded it in natural history. Plenty, put
0: this in history real quick. Write it that Nero (laughs) got the last chunk of that. The silphium. That'd, be, that'd should, be rad. Put it in history. Plenty. I feel
1: like periodically when we bring up Plenty the Elder on the show, we should make the disclaimer because not everyone will have listed to listen to the entire decade of Sawbones episodes that we have now produced. Um, we we love Plenty the Elder. We don't think that his book Natural History is awful. Flies. <laughs> that that is a joke that we are making. Um, he does make many uh, medicinal claims about various substances on planet Earth. That are not evidence-based. Pliny's not big on evidence-based medicine.
0: Which I would argue maybe calls into question a lot of the facets in there. Like maybe this not true story he heard. No, nah, no, nah,
1: no. Nah. Because he wrote about stuff. Like he was just like, here's a plant that exists. Here's a rock that exists. Here's a thing. Like, and like that stuff isn't necessarily untrue. It's just when he's like, and you know what it's good for. That's when you've got to start to raise an eyebrow. <laughs> like, right. is it though, Plenty? Right. I understand. Is it? Th- I feel like we should throw that out there because if you just started listening recently, you may think, "Why do those guys hate Plenty of the Elder?" We don't. We no. love Plenty of the love Elder. We love the Elder. We did a whole episode on him. I wrote a song about him. We love Plenty of the Elder. Um, anyway, the so sylphium, by the way, was grown in what is now Libya, and it was in a very narrow region. That's probably part of why it's not around today. It didn't grow in a lot of other places. Um, Hippocrates wrote about sylphium. Um, you can, uh, you can scrape pieces off of it, little piece, like, get small pieces. Um, and if your, uh, gut protrudes, you can take some of this. Mm. So, like with gas. Yeah. I think if you're distended with gas. It's if your belly's swollen and distended. You've mm-hmm. it, it sounds similar, right? Like, uh, it's, use, it, you're using it for some reason, your gut's protruding. Now, granted, that could be a lot of reasons, but, um... Theophrastus also talked about the use of Silphium, like I said, Pliny the Elder did um, When Asphodel Was first brought to Europe By Alexander the Great It was because When it was seen, people thought Wait, is this that Silphium stuff That doesn't exist anymore? Oh. That was part of why it was first Thought to be useful
0: People were stoked about it because it was not unlike this other thing they used to love.
1: Exactly. That is what we think. Again, this is all sort of what we've pieced together based on writings and the etchings on the coins and things like that from history. No one who's alive ever saw sylphium, so Mm. we don't know. I think that's fascinating. This plant that was used as money. It was so important. You could pay in this plant, and it's just gone. It's gone. It's just gone. We we pave paradise. A parking
0: lot. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say the exact same thing. We've been married too long, maybe.
1: So so basically, um this uh the substance we're talking about, yeah, as It's collected and everything was moving around back then. Like people would go places, they'd travel, explore new places, and they'd take their like foods and spices and seasonings and things with them. So like asfatita moves around the globe, because people use it and they take it with them.
0: Yeah, their traveling um, companion was a lump of sticky, go- stinky goop.
1: In in what we're going to talk about in, like, its modern uses and what it's thought to be good for, a lot of that comes from India now. Um, and it probably initially arrived in India from Afghanistan, because that's where it grows, um, as early as 600 BCE. Whoa. Yeah, so a really long time ago. Um, and you can look back to, like, um, Hindu and Buddhist texts, and it's mentioned there, the existence of, of asfatida. So we know that it's been around a really long time and that it was used um, primarily initially as food. Oh, okay. So the thing about it, and again, I haven't smelled it.
0: I need to get you something, I
1: know. We, I really want to smell it now because there's so much talk about its odor. I guess because of the specific, like, volatiles, it is reminiscent. I've seen a lot of people compare it to onions or onion and garlic combined. Mm-hmm. That sort of sharp smell is what – or taste even is what you got to think about. Uh, that is what it's been compared to. So you could use it in place of those things if either you didn't have those things or it, in some religious traditions you couldn't eat those things, specific spices. You could use it in place of them. And it mm-hmm. would sort of give you that same sort of, not identical flavor, but like, I don't know, like the, w- the same kind of bite, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. that that onions and garlic have. They do, it's pleasant, but it's a little aggressive. Okay. That sort of, that sort of place. But uh, obviously, even though it was very popular in cooking when it came over to the Europeans, the Europeans were like, oh my gosh. This is an overwhelming smell for us. Too much. Yes. And so they called it devil's dung or stinking gum. Uh, and again, it was it was often used in various dishes in place of onions and garlic. If you're curious as to like what's in it, like what is this stuff, um, it's, it's only like four depending on how much, where, where you're getting it from, which species, whatever. It's only like four to 20% of the volatile oils that we're probably talking about. The stuff that would be like smelling and tasting and you would theorize would have any sort of activity Mm -hmm. if you were going to apply a a medicinal sort of thing to it. Um, The rest of it is just like the gum and the resin that's Mm -hmm. in there sort of sticking all these oils together. Um, The essential oil part of it, all of the different things have a lot of sulfur in them.
0: Oh, okay. It's probably some of the color too, right?
1: Mm -hmm. The color and the odor. Mm -hmm. So that's where... Um, and they, they have found different phytochemicals in there. There are things like cadenine and vanillin. What's a phytochemical?
0: Um,
1: plant. Oh. Plant-based chemicals. Ah, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are all these other things that are found in the resin as well, specific substances that are found in the resin. But if you're wondering, like, why does it have such a strong odor? Where does this come from? It is because a lot of those uh, volatile oils that give it its odor, give it its flavor— are thought to have medical applications contain a ton of sulfur. Okay. Which I don't know if that gives you a clue as to what it might smell like. Again, I'm so curious to know what this might smell like. Sulfur, generally, I consider an unpleasant smell.
0: Yeah. So. I don't, I don't know. Everything in moderation, right? Just makes poison, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yes. Um, so that's what's in it. That's how it's used in cooking. What do we think it's good for medicinally? Why is it a supplement? Why is it something you can buy? Why is it something that there have been studies on to see – If it's medically active, physiologically active in the human body. I'm going to tell you about that. But first, first. Yes. We got to go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth.
0: We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner.
1: parenting. It's hard, but don't worry. You're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? (laughs) There is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Bullseye, Tom Hanks, as you've never heard him before, mad. You moron. Thank you for the use (laughs) of the turn signal. Way to use your blinker, idiot.
0: That's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, Sid. Bring me the modern era of asafetida. I'm
1: ready. Okay, so as I mentioned, it has this, and I think like a lot of substances that would have a strong odor or flavor or something like that were often thought like, well, maybe they do something in the human body. We we've talked about this a lot on the show, right? People assume like smells impactful. Yeah, garlic is not dissimilar, right? Why did we investigate garlic for any sort of medical benefits? I don't know. It smelled and tasted really strong. Maybe it's doing something. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so, anyway, by the way, the name asafetida is from a Farsi word, which means um, resin, and then fetidus means smelling extremely unpleasant.
0: Okay. So yeah, everyone agreed on this. It really united the world. It's <laughs> unpleasant smell.
1: So um, the uh, in in ancient Rome is when we start to see again, like it was used as a flavoring agent, as mm-hmm. it is today. but um, and and they would like dissolve it in hot oils and add the oils to the food and that kind of thing. Um, but they also began to investigate it as something that could be used uh, as a as some sort of medicine. Uh, specifically, like, could it be an antidote? At, over the years, they thought it was maybe an antidote for some sort of, like, overdose. Like, if somebody took opium, mm. would it be an antidote for opium? Um, maybe just because it's, like, pungent, it would wake you up. Yeah, sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> Smelling salts, that's that's all they have to do is be super stinky.
1: Exactly. It has been used for whooping cough. It was used for hysteria. That was a popular older use for it um, mm. when hysteria was a thing. Hysteria is not a thing.
0: No. It wasn't no. then, but we didn't know that. <laughs> no,
1: it was never a thing. Um, as it spread across the ancient world, it was used for different. Like in China, it was a popular medication used for wor- like deworming someone mm-hmm. if they thought you had some sort of worms or or you know parasitic infection. Um, In Malaysia, it was thought to help start periods. I think it's really interesting because as you read about its uses, it's like it'll throw in that it's an aphrodisiac sometimes, sometimes that it's a contraceptive, sometimes that it'll help start or regulate your periods. Um, There are even some traditions that thought it was helpful for fertility.
0: (laughs) Well, come on. We can't have it all those different ways. I feel
1: like if you just keep, like, throwing the darts. <laughs> yeah,
0: eventually you're going to hit all the different things that a, a, a stinky gum can do.
1: Um, in Morocco, it was investigated for seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, in Brazil, specifically, it is used as an aphrodisiac for men. Mm. That is that is specifically what you want this for. I wonder how you um, consume
0: that. Because there's I can't think of a way to consume it that isn't going to mess up the, you know, sexy vibes. If you smell... Really sulfurous. Seems like that might be kind of a mood killer.
1: Well, but I, you know, like I said, you can buy it as a supplement. Um, So, like, you look and there's the spice, there's the powder. But you got to wonder, are there capsules? Probably, right? Right? There's got to be. Certainly, they're not expecting
0: you to just, like, take a spoonful and and go wild.
1: And I also, I would also wonder, this is another question I have. And are you, did you buy some as we're sitting here? Mm Mm-hmm. I knew knew you would. I knew you would buy some for us to try. Um, A lot of these sorts of compounds – oh, you can buy hunks of the resin too. A lot of these compounds, you're not going to get that smell until you heat it up Mm,
0: because that's when you're going to
1: release the volatile oils. So – and I don't know. This may stink even when you open the jar. (laughs) I, I I honestly That's have no the way of slogan they
0: use on the label.
1: <laughs> it may be that as soon as you smell it, it smells like something. Um, but there are many substances that, like, you actually have to heat up. So it, I don't know. Man, I really want – we're going to find this out for ourselves because Justin has ordered some. But um, if you know more about how this taster smells, does the powder smell? Does the resin smell? Do you have to heat it up to smell? We've got some by the time
0: people are hearing this, I believe.
1: Yeah. What do you think it tastes like? I would love to hear other people's opinions, though, especially people who are familiar with this substance. Mm-hmm. I am only familiar with it because you brought it up on our other episode. Yeah. And now I've read about it. I have never experienced we'll it. We'll try it. And we'll I c- want to know people who use it, like, what do you put it in? I could. I mean, I could, I've read all the dishes people suggested in, but what do you like it in? Do you like it in barbecue meat? Do you like it in mushrooms? Do you like it in vegetable dishes? I don't like it in mushrooms. You don't like it in mushrooms because you don't like mushrooms. But these are all examples I've found of things you can put it in, and I just— I don't know. I want to know. It's like if somebody asked about the, um, what do you do? Wh- tell me about pepperoni rolls. Yeah. I could tell you all about that, right? Right. I'm from West Virginia, the home of pepperoni rolls. You would like
0: to hear from people to whom uh asafoetida is culturally significant.
1: Yeah. Like for people who this is sitting on your shelf of spices and cooking things like, like we have many things like what this is sitting on your shelf. What do you do with it? I want to know about it. I would love to know those things. Um, It is, as I said, like a lot of where it lives today in both culinary tradition and medicinal tradition is in India, Mm -hmm. and it is used for a variety of different things. Digestive complaints, definitely um, a lot of different like stomach things. You'll find it as like, oh, you can use it for that. Um, Kidney stones, it's used for sometimes Mm -hmm. It's as a treatment for that to help. uh, I'm assuming it's thought to like dissolve these things, gallstones. Um, any sort of like nervous disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been I found studies to look at things like can it lower blood pressure? If you take is that like a supplement that would be useful? Um, again, sort of the same way. I think it's very similar in that in my mind to like the way we talk about garlic. Mm-hmm. You know how you can get take a garlic supplement, or they'll mm-hmm. tell you to eat a bunch of garlic or turmeric. Right? Mm-hmm. It has a lot of this sort of thing. Um, it has been investigated to treat asthma. Oh wow. Um, inflammatory bowel disease. Or I mean, not sorry. Can you, can you contextualize bowel bowel for me syndrome, when you say not inflammatory bowel disease? I use it's,
0: initials. It's been investigated too. What well, what is it? What does that feel like to you?
1: So there are studies, and that's what I wanted to get to. There are a number of studies. I looked through. It was, it was there was actually a really nice sort of summary article looking at all the studies that have been done on astigmatism because people have tried to like go about it in a scientific fashion. Yeah. Um. The problem is, and you know if you're familiar with like supplements you know that this is always an issue with this part of medicine there's no money in that right there are lots of people selling asfatita already so if it does have a medical benefit it would be very hard for like a pharmaceutical company for instance mm-hmm. to make any money off of that
0: Right, because it's so common and cheap. Mm-hmm. And-
1: exactly. So you're never going to find in sub- with substances like this. You're not going to find big, giant, double-blind, randomized mm-hmm. control studies that do the do it the way we need to do it. Right, because you have to have in order for a study to be meaningful, you have to have a certain number of people in it. Right. Because otherwise, it could just be chance. That's what you're always trying to figure out when you do a study. Trying to eliminate chance. You're trying to eliminate that this just happened by chance. If you have two groups of people, and one takes something and one doesn't, and then you look at what the effect was, it could just be chance. So if you have enough people in there, then the study has enough power at that Mm -hmm. point to mean something. Mm -hmm. All of the studies that have been done on asphotida are pretty small, and also— I did not find, at least in the in the big meta-analysis that I looked at, any done in humans. Ah, uh, okay. There have been a lot done in mice, rats, guinea pigs, um, a lot of in vitro studies to look at possible effects of asphotida to kill bacteria, to kill fungus, mm-hmm. to kill um, parasites. And in all those studies, what you're really talking about is like, Putting a substance on something growing in a Petri dish to see if it, like, inhibits the growth of it. Okay. Um, And these are very fraught uh, because there are lots of things that I can put in a Petri dish that will kill whatever microorganism you're wanting me to kill, right? Yes. I could dump bleach on it.
0: We have a magnet. We have that magnet says what What is it? Um,
1: if you ever hear that something kills cancer cells in a petri dish, just remember, so does a handgun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not recommending that. Please don't shoot petri dishes. Yeah, um, but the but the point is that like the the problem with studies like that are that just because I can dump something in a petri dish and kill something doesn't mean I can dump it in your human body and make you better. I, I always like bleach as an example because I don't know. I guess I guess the gun example is a little flashier, <laughs> but but nobody's going to do that. But like you can, you. I mean, we did have a political leader once who suggested injecting bleach into our bodies. So I think that this is a fair yes. example to use. Fair bit of clarification. Yes, we can't dump we can't dump bleach into our bodies and kill things, but we could definitely use bleach in a lot of petri dishes to clean them. Yeah, and so there is there are substances that will kill. Invaders while not killing us. Yes. And that's what we're looking for. Um, there are lots of things where, if they're used in high enough concentrations, you can inhibit the growth of bacteria and such. Mm-hmm. Can you even get those concentrations in the human body? And what would they do as a side effect? Right. We don't know. So that's, that's tricky
0: because um, natural medicine advocates and homeopathic people and stuff like that, um, a lot of people in alternative medicine use this like no profit in it thing as an excuse to why they can't back it up with studies like, well, I can't prove this because it's too cheap and plentiful. So no one wants to do the research on it.
1: And, but it's hard too, because I also like, just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it works. Right. Um, and there's also some of these things like we have medicines that are very effective at managing asthma. So, I would be very hesitant to encourage someone who has asthma and requires, especially like daily maintenance <laughs> medications to mm-hmm. manage that condition, to try to replace them with something that is unproven. I mean, like the risk in that of is course. so high. Of course, um, when we and this isn't a situation where, well, we don't have anything, so you may as well try this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see. A lot – there were definitely some studies, and this this is where things always, especially on our show, we don't like, is when you start talking about cancer. You've yeah. got a secret cure for cancer that nobody wants you to know about. Um, they have looked at, like, again, killing cancer cells in a lab yeah, um, to see if that will work. Uh, they've looked at it to see if it encourages spermatogenesis, mm. the formation of more sperm. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, as a fertility thing.
0: I'm assuming not
1: uh i mean in all of these studies they very small studies at large amounts they say like we saw a moderate effect okay but then at the end of every at the end of every study like that if you see like much more research needs to be done what this means is we think we found something but we're not sure and you would need to do a lot more studies to know for sure and now granted all science starts that way sure all all the things that do work at some point somebody went we think we might have something. Maybe maybe works. Yeah. Um, but they've also looked at, like, can it work for memory enha- enhancement? Can it work for um, protection generally of your nerves, especially, like, of your, you know, neuronal function in your brain? Um, is it good for digestive function? Is it good for losing weight? Is it good for uh, treating anxiety? Yeah. Um, all of these things have been investigated. They're, they're small in vitro studies or they've done, you know, just in some sort of animal model like a mouse or something. And all of them are like, well, we think we found something maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's it's
1: broadly encouraging. I, I don't know if I would say broadly encouraging. All right. I would say that it's possible that it does something, but no one knows and there's no hard evidence Okay. of any of it. Um. And I always, I mean, like. The human body is so complex, I it it always I find it discouraging that there is this sort of push to find a cure all. Like that when you start looking at a substance for 35 different complaints, in your mind you have decided that the substance could cure all of these different things. Or treat them or manage them. Right. Why would there be one thing that does all that?
0: Or would there be? It's just the grand design said.
1: Okay, well, see, then well, you've lost me. <laughs> like, no, but the human body is infinitely complex, right. and everybody's different. And the idea that you've got a substance that if we all just took, we'd all be fine.
0: I mean, ibuprofen cures headaches and hangovers. <laughs> so you tell me.
1: There are things that can and do more fevers? than one thing if they things. have a common root. But you're looking at the co- you're looking at like a common pathway that causes different effects. And then if you can affect that pathway, you would have different benef- benefits from it, right? Like all of these things I've listed like blood pressure, asthma, IBS, farting. <laughs>
0: They're all in different ulcers. parts of your body.
1: Yeah, uh, memory, um killing a bacteria. Like these are right. all different mechanisms and pathways and so that the idea that w- there is any substance that exists on planet Earth or I don't know in outer space that would cure all those things at once, it's wild to me that it's thought, I don't know. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. The the downside in addition to the fact that when you like when you use things like this that are unproven as medicine, you may neglect actual medical treatments, which would put you at risk, right? Like in the mm-hmm. asthma example. Um, the other thing is that a lot of these substances, if they are active in the human body, they're active in the human body. So they might do good things, but they might also have side effects. Mm. Um, and that's true no matter how natural something is touted as being. If it works, it does. it's doing something. Mm. This can interact with things like blood thinners. Oh, um, so
0: serious, serious stuff.
1: Yes, and so if you are on blood thinners, it's not something that you should play around with. You should talk to your medical provider before you take any supplement. Um, but specifically, if you are on other medications, you need to ask: Will this interact with those other you medications? You would have
0: those effects uh, using its cooking aspects or co- in a cooking method.
1: Um, I don't think. It, it, I think similar to a lot of substances that can that can do these things. If you are using them in like the general amounts we would in cooking, no but if you're taking sure. extra amounts as a supplement.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Um, so it can interact with blood thinners. It can cause something called uh, methemoglobinemia, which basically, you know that the the hemoglobin is the oxygen-carrying part of your red blood cells? Yes. The iron in the hemoglobin converts from one form to another form, ferrous mm. to ferric. The important thing is it affects your oxygen-carrying capability. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Um, this is a big deal. Yeah, we gotta. This have that is very stuff. bad. We love that yeah, stuff. This is very bad. So we there are there are yeah. side effects that can be serious, and then it can just cause things like lip swelling and burping, and it can cause you to fart. I know it's used to cure farts, but it can also make you fart. It can cause diarrhea, headaches, um, all kinds of other things. If especially if taken in large amounts. Um, so at this point, you know, a lot of people like it for cooking. Sure, it is a very popular spice. <laughs>
0: We cannot um, adjudicate the flavor of asfatita here on the show,
1: and I have no, and I, and there is no evidence that if you're using it in that capacity, it would be dangerous. Um, but I think that I have not seen any, any compelling. I still can't find. I assumed that since it's used as a supplement, there's like capsules of it out there somewhere. I can't find any.
0: Maybe you just crunch all just up like, some of the chunks of resin.
1: It's all yeah. It's all either in resin or like, um, like the powder. Nope. Here's the capsules. Nah, I knew somebody had them. <laughs> Walmart. You can get them at Walmart. Great. Well, heck, yeah. I knew they were out there somewhere. Um, but I, yeah. Right now, there are no studies that are compelling that it has any med- medical benefits. Um, there are risks to taking it as a supplement. Um, I'm eager to try it. Yeah. As a spice. Ooh. Let's see. Yeah. Maybe it'll be our new favorite thing. Who I don't knows? know.
0: And maybe it'll fix fix a lot of problems for us physically speaking. Maybe it'll. Turn turn this thing around.
1: I don't. I don't have any compelling evidence that it doesn't. I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> all I'm saying, Sydney, is it's really important that we keep an open mind, an open heart, and an open wallet to be able to buy different things to try them.
1: I don't. I will say that in the we we have talked about a lot of um, like snake oil on this show. And in the, like, grand scheme of bad actors, this would not be high on my list. It looks like most people use it for cooking. And the, and similar to the way I think most people interact with garlic. Right. I love garlic. I know there's some studies that suggested maybe it could do some things, but you'd have to take a ton of it. And, like, there are other things that do that, too but I love garlic and I'll eat garlic. And sometimes when I eat garlic, I think I was so healthy. I ate garlic. <laughs> um, and, cause I love garlic. And I think that this was probably a very similar yeah. idea. Like don't buy the capsules, just eat it. If you like it. Yeah.
0: Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It's called Sawbones. We've been doing it for a Sydney alluded, uh, a decade now. Uh, I, we got to check and see where our 10 year anniversary is. It definitely was uh, in, in 2013, but I don't know when we exactly started. Um,
1: I was pregnant with Charlie, I believe.
0: Okay, okay. Um, well, that can't be right. Is that right?
1: Maybe I'm wrong. Well, well then was it to... at the end of 2013?
0: No, it was June 21st.
1: Well, I wasn't pregnant.
0: You were not pregnant. No.
1: no. We did an interview for the paper about it when I was pregnant.
0: Uh, I maybe think that's, that's what, what I'm thinking is. of. Yeah, okay, yeah, June 21st, 2013. So we're coming up on the inspirational 10-year anniversary of this podcast. Uh, Thanks to the taxpayers for using their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to you for listening. That's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm
1: Sydney McElroy. And
0: as always, don't drill a hole in your head.